0: welcome to SRNA Nation, the podcast for the student registered nurse anesthetist. I'm your host, Rachel. Thanks so much for joining. Hey guys, and welcome back to SRNA Nation. I'm your host, Rachel. Today, we're going to be talking about the cell, the basic unit of human life. And in particular, we're going to be talking about the resting membrane potential of a cell. So, When we think about a cell, we know it's like a little factory inside and it's got all these little proteins and your nucleus and all these little things doing stuff inside the cell at all times. And then you have this wall around the cell, which we technically refer to as a phospholipid bilayer, right? So that means that it's got hydrophilic and hydrophobic heads, water loving and water hating, And basically the important thing about this is that it's going to allow certain substances and water to passively diffuse in and out of the cell. Um, Things like water and then things that are lipid soluble are going to cross that membrane without a whole lot of help. And that kind of lets us deliver some stuff to the cell, but the cell wall is kind of impermeable or semi-permeable right so things that are charged like ions and certain other things need a little help or they need some gatekeeping as far as what they're doing in the cell going in and out and all that stuff right so when we are thinking about the cell and I'll have a picture of this in the show notes and on the Instagram post um but I have my little picture that I drew if you guys wanna pull it up. And that circle on the outside is our phospholipid bilayer. And on the inside of the cell, we have a whole lot of potassium. On the outside of the cell, we have a whole lot of sodium, right? The sodiums are pink square, the potassiums are orange circle. So we know that potassium, and sodium are both positively charged ions, right? So they each have a charge of one. So they're each one positive. And then all those little factories inside of the cell, the nucleus, the mitochondria, all that stuff um, are primarily made out of proteins that have a net negative charge. And there's a lot more of those inside our little cell than there are floating around outside. So when we learn about our concentration gradients, we learned that ions like to go from an area of high concentration to an area of low concentration, which makes sense, right? Because we're thinking about charged particles that all have the same charge. And you think about like the magnet toys that my little brother used to play with as a kid. And when you push those two positives towards each other, they want to repel, right? They want to get away from each other. And when you um, do the negative and the positive, they want to go together. So think about your sodium, like a big hunk of sodium ions being your positive ends of that magnet toy. So when there's a ton of them in one area, they all want to get away from each other, and they want to go to an area where there's less of them. So we have this concentration gradient. That's our concentration gradient. And our concentration gradient of sodium outside of the cell is going to be really high. There's a lot more sodium floating around outside the cell than there is in. There's a concentration gradient between the outside of the cell and the inside of the cell for sodium, right? There's way more. So knowing what we know about concentration gradients, where does that sodium want to go to? It wants to go in the cell, right? But it doesn't. Why? And then we have way more potassium inside of the cell than outside. So you got another big concentration gradient there. So why doesn't that potassium just jet on out, right? That's where it wants to wants to go off and meet somebody new, get out there, but it doesn't. Um, And there's a couple of reasons for that. We've got some different channels. We've got some voltage-gated channels. We've got some channels that um, only open when they're bound to by a neurotransmitter or some kind of stimulus. And we've got this thing, this thing, and you're gonna hear it a lot. Um, And you've probably already heard it some, it's the Sodium potassium ATPase pump is what it's referred to in all of our CRNA school text. So the sodium potassium ATPase pump is what basically establishes most of our resting membrane potential, our ion difference inside the cell and outside the cell. And I think this is kind of a confusing term for some people because we're like, okay, but it's negative 70, is the negative 70 on the inside or the outside? And does that mean that like outside of the cell is zero? And I think that concept gets people kind of hung up when we're talking about resting membrane potential. We, most textbooks say it's hanging out between like 65 and negative 65 and negative 85 millivolts. So what that means is that like, is the outside of the cell necessarily positive or zero or whatever? No. But what it means is that the outside of the cell is that your control. It's like your grounding circuit. And it, when you measure inside of the cell, it's about negative 70 millivolts less than your grounding circuit. So it's not saying that the outside of the cell is zero and the inside of the cell is negative 70 or whatever. It's just saying that across that membrane there is an ion difference and that difference causes a polarization, right? Um, Meaning that one side of the cell is more negative, one side is more positive and so when that's polarized our outside the cell becomes our grounding circuit, our zero and that measurement of negative seventy is just saying, hey, the inside of the cell is seventy less than the outside. It's not saying that the outside. It's not telling us really anything about what that actual charge of the outside is. So, hopefully, that helped and didn't confuse you more with that. So, we've got all these different kinds of voltage gated and stimulus gated ion channels, and the key thing there is that they have a gate on them. So their resting form, when the resting membrane potential is at negative 70, is closed. When there's no stimulus or there's no voltage change that causes them to open, they're closed. There are some leaky channels in certain cells that we can talk about later, but for right now, just think when your normal cell is hanging out at negative 70, you've got your channels are closed, you have really, really strong concentration, grad- concentration gradients. The concentration gradient for sodium is to want to move into the cell, and for potassium is to want to move out, but our gates are closed, and they can't just diffuse across the membrane because they're polarized, right? So all of our gates are closed, we've got this really strong strong concentration gradient. And we have this pump. This is the sodium-potassium ATPase pump. So when our gates are open, like our voltage gates or our chemically gated channels, um, once those open, no energy is required to move our ions in or out because we just opened a channel and it's a concentration gradient and so it's just gonna go. Like it's it's trying to get away from stuff that's like it because remember our magnet analogy and it's just gonna roll on down that hill Um, because that gradient really is a hill. It's like pushing a ball down the top of a hill. And when those gates open, it's gonna take no energy because the opening of the gate is just gonna be that ball going over the edge of the hill and it's just gonna roll. The difference though is our sodium potassium pump, is moving things opposite. Is moving things uphill, essentially. When we think about that ball rolling over the edge, it is literally like the guy just pushing the ball up the hill. It is the opposite. So it requires energy and it uses it uses the energy ATP. So if you look at my picture that should be in the show notes, Um, you've got what almost looks like this almond that's been split in half, and except for on the very end, it's still attached. Or a heart, you can think of it that way too. The point of your heart would be on the outside of the cell and the two sides of your heart would be on the inside or if you're thinking about an almond still, the edge of the almond that's still together is on the outside of the cell with your two little arms going in. And this is the protein, it's an integral protein. It lives in that phospholipid bilayer of the cell wall and it's got its little arms sticking out into the intracellular fluid and on one side of its arms it's got three binding sites for sodium sodium only nobody else can get on that train just sodium and there's not a ton of sodium in the cell remember it's kind of like a low area but when three sodiums hop on then on the other side of the arm of the pump it makes a little spot for ATP to come in and bind. And remember, ATP is our energy. Um, and if you remember with your basic physiology, like ATP is a compound, and the way that it makes energy or the way that it like burns energy or combust in the body essentially, if you think about combustion, is hydrolysis. So it goes from adenosine triphosphate, meaning three phosphate groups, to adenosine diphosphate, so it breaks off a phosphate group, and that's how it makes energy. So when the ATP binds to our little pump, it breaks off a phosphate group, the one phosphate group stays on there, and it pops off the ADP, the adenosine diphosphate. So if you read the textbooks, they say like sodium transport outside of the cell is using active energy of ATP and then residual energy from this ATP reaction is used for the second half of the pump. So it's very vague, but what it what it means there is that you had your ATP, it binded to that binding site, it popped off its phosphate group, and that turned, basically turns your little almond or your heart inside out, the popping off of that phosphate group. The ADP goes away, the phosphate group stays on, and now your sodium potassium pump is open to your extracellular fluid. The tip of your heart is inside the cell or the tip of your almond, however you're visualizing that, and your two arms are out. Now that um, breaking apart of your ATP also caused your sodium, little seats that your sodium was riding in, they got real uncomfortable, they changed shape. And so when that happens, it pops the sodium out into your extracellular fluid. But that also causes on the other arm two little seats for potassium to hop on, and so now when the potassium hops on, that's going to cause that leftover phosphate group on the end to pop off. And remember, phosphate is basically the combustion engine of intracellular energy, if you will. So when it pops off, then our ATP pump flips back over backwards to our intracellular space, and it goes back to its original form. And when it does that, it loses its little potassium seats, and the potassium's on the inside of the cell. So it really is a pump, and it really does use energy. Um, the other thing to think about with this is that you have three positive sodiums and two positive potassiums. So they have the same charge for each one ion. So the Sodium-potassium pump uses energy, and each time the pump cycles, it results in a net negative one because you've pumped three positive things out and two positive things in. So that's one of the things that is maintaining that resting membrane potential of our the inside of our cell being a net negative charge. So when we move these ions around, and they're charged ions, we are causing an electrical current with enough shift of ions. So muscle movement and all of the things we do are stimulated by some sort of impulse that comes from our nervous system. And when we talk about that, we really start talking about an action potential. So there's a lot of different ways that this concept is applied throughout the body. And this particular episode is not to go into too much depth about all the different cells that utilize an action potential and how they work. It is just to give a very general 30,000 foot view of what the resting membrane potential is and how we can manipulate it within our body. Um, And then we'll go more into other things like cardiac cells and the neuromuscular junction and all of those things that are so much fun down the road. And we'll be able to apply these concepts because we're gonna know them so well from just using this super basic model. So, we said that movement of ions is essentially just an electrical current, really, because it's a charged ion particle, right? And we also said that we have different types of gates and channels that these ions can move through. Remember, a little bit ago, we said that we had some chemical or some neurotransmitter stimulated gated channels that would open with certain stimulations right they stayed closed all the time because they had this gate so their resting state in our cell membrane was a closed state but when certain things happen they'd open up and then when they're open that's like opening that gate on the top of the hill where the ball was because we have these huge concentration gradients right so as soon as those gates open it's that ball's rolling downhill so When our little cell gets an impulse to it, whether that be a physical impulse um, with some of our, like, mechanoreceptors, right, because they can be stimulated by a physical impulse or a direct impulse where a nerve goes in and innervates the cell, whatever it is, we refer to that as an action potential. And basically, that action potential, like, if we think about the neuromuscular junction, is acetylcholine binding to receptors on the outside of a cell, right? And so whenever that initial stimulus occurs, whatever it is, it's going to open specific channels for sodium, and those sodium channels are going to be stimulus controlled. So that stimulus is going to open those channels, and we've got this huge concentration gradient, remember, from the outside to the inside for sodium. So when those initial stimulus channels open, sodium's gonna come in. But it's not like a ton of sodium because there's not a ton of those channels and maybe there wasn't a ton of that neurotransmitter or that stimulus, like with our touch cells. But if there's a strong enough stimulus, like a strong enough touch or a strong enough mechanical force on our mechanoreceptors, just different things, that strong enough stimulus that stimulus is gonna raise our membrane potential up to what we consider threshold. And it's an all or nothing phenomenon. So say that your stimulus is just a tiny little stimulus and it opens one tiny little stimulus-gated sodium channel and two little sodium ions trickle in and it raises our membrane potential from 70 to 68, or negative 70 to negative 68 that's not gonna do anything because we didn't reach threshold. But if that stimulus is really strong and enough of those sodium channels open, then we're gonna reach threshold, which usually is around negative 55 millivolts. And then when we reach threshold, now we have all of these voltage-gated sodium channels. And that means that they've got their little gate and when the voltage gets high enough, that's gonna cause their gate to open. And now we have this huge concentration gradient, right? So we've got like all these balls at the top of these very steep hills and all the gates go down at once and sodium just rushes into the cell. And that's where we see that really sharp uptake on our, on our graph of our action potential. Um, that is caused by that rapid, rapid influx of sodium through these fast sodium channels. So now we've got all of these positive sodium ions rushing into the cell, and now the inside of the cell actually momentarily becomes more positive than the outside. We're going to go up to about positive 35 millivolts. And that change is going to cause those voltage-gated sodium channels to slam back shut because now they're way off of where they needed to be to be open around that same time, or a little before that really, our potassium channels, our voltage-gated potassium channels, have also been stimulated to open. And remember, our potassium is really, really high on the inside of the cell and really low on the outside of the cell. And potassium's also that positive ion, just like sodium, right? And sodium just rushed in along its concentration gradient So now, we have also this big electrochemical gradient because we have just made everything inside the cell way more positive. So potassium wants to get out of there for two reasons. One, it's way too positive in there. And two, there's way too many other potassiums and there's literally very little potassium on the outside. So you have an electrochemical gradient. You have this big gradient that's based not only on the concentration of the potassium, but also the fact that it wants to get away as quickly as possible from all these other positive charges that are now in its space. So potassium, its channels are open. It's rolling on down that hill out of the cell. And that is our quick downstroke in our action potential in the graph. And it actually goes a little bit further down Um, Then we started, because potassium has that concentration gradient, remember? And then once all that stops, our sodium potassium pump starts back up again and it gets us right back to our resting membrane potential. So this is a concept that I hope you guys understand a little bit more clearly um, in a general sense now that we've gone through it a little bit more. Um, Just remember that this is a very basic overview, the 30,000 foot view, if you will, of this concept of the resting membrane potential, of the movement of ions, and this is kind of going to serve as our framework. Um, And I love using frameworks in education because when you have a framework, think about like the studs of a house when you go to add more things to that house, when they put up the drywall and they do all these things, if you don't have those studs, like ain't nothing else happening because you don't have the foundation and the studs to nail all those things to. So the idea of learning things like this, where it's not super specific to a tissue can be hard for some people because they wanna apply it initially. But this really is like the two by fours of building your house when it comes to understanding physiology pharmacology and what we do in anesthesia to manipulate all those things and then also in some of our more critically ill patients how the different levels of those ion concentrations if they're too high or too low can alter all of our body systems so try to think about this as just that framework that you're gonna to add to and you're gonna to build to. And then when we go more into like the neuromuscular junction or cardiac tissue, we're gonna keep building on this framework, we're gonna keep pulling from this framework, we're gonna keep talking about how these same systems, these same ideas work in different tissue, and then ultimately how our pharmacology manipulates them and changes them and how we kind of utilize these systems to provide this awesome anesthesia care. So I hope you guys um, enjoyed this. I loved going back through it because this is the nuts and the bolts. This is the good stuff, y'all. As always, if anybody has any questions, send them my way. And happy studying.